Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 78, Surface Learning versus Deep Learning. How do you know your students are learning? More to the point, how do students know they're learning? In this episode, we'll discuss the Hattie Donoff method of learning, which looks at learning strategies that work best for surface learning, as well as strategies that work better for deep learning. And this episode is based on an article that we read on kqed.org, which we'll link to in the show notes. According to John Hattie, the director of the Melbourne Educational Research Institute at the University of Melbourne in Australia, and his colleague, Gregory Donov, we don't measure learning so much as test achievement because that's a really narrow view of what learning means. Hattie and Donov's model of learning upends that view of what learning looks like. Now, the kind of learning that we educational professionals tend to think of as learning is what Hattie and Donoff call surface learning, and it's not about anything beyond the test results, really. That can be problematic for students both in the K-12 system and the college environment because deep learning, the learning that sticks, the learning that goes beyond the test, that goes far beyond that. In Hattie's words, and this is a quote, the purpose of schooling is to equip students with learning strategies or the skills of learning how to learn, unquote. And that's not something easily measured on a quiz or exam. It goes deeper than that. The research team notes three things students bring to a learning situation, skill, will, and thrill. Skill is how they do what they do. Will is the motivation to do it. And thrill is the love of learning, the way the student feels about both what they're learning and how they learned it. All three are necessary to achieve deeper learning. In their analysis, they found most learning has to start with the students understanding what success on some learning task will look like. If they don't understand this is what success looks like, they don't know where to start, they don't know how to proceed, and they often don't know where or how to spend their time and energy. But what they found is, if teachers take the time to teach students this is what success on this assignment looks like, then students are more able to choose strategies for learning, which actually work. And this then allows them to experience thrill, or that feeling that learning is not only worthwhile, but engaging. It might even be fun. On the other hand, if they're just thrashing around trying to figure out what they're supposed to do, they're going to lose interest in the topic. And they're going to see the task as, this is a chore I have to finish, not a learning experience to be enjoyed and remembered. And so the thing is, a lot of professionals will put out, for example, guidelines for a paper and say, 12-point font, 1-inch margins, Times New Roman, double-spaced. And the students are saying, okay, but I've never written a narrative essay before. And this says, write a narrative essay about um, Gulliver's Travels. And I have no idea what a narrative essay is, and there's nothing here to tell me what I'm supposed to do. So instead of understanding what they're doing, they'll be thrashing around trying to figure out from those little clues what's expected. And we wonder why we get papers that are written that have, you know, 1,200 words 
and are double spaced and Times New Roman 12 point font and say nothing interesting and don't complete the assignment, maybe we should be teaching them this is what success will look like. Surface learning, which is unfortunately what most of us instill in our students most of the time, is mainly memorization learning lots of ideas, but without learning about how they go together and without much strategy beyond drill, drill, drill. This means students go through monotonous stacks of flashcards, simply learning by rote, but without any understanding of why they're learning it, why it matters, or why they should care. This way lies the death of deep learning. Deep learning, on the other hand, focuses on connecting ideas, finding meaning in what they're learning, looking for evidence, finding underlying principles, and many of the processes we probably recognize from the higher levels of Bloom's taxonomy, application, analysis, synthesis, and evaluation. Now, let's be clear. Hattie and Donoff are not arguing for ditching memorization and other surface learning, but they are arguing that students learn more by using and doing than by memorizing and drilling. And they learn at a deeper level. So Hattie and Donoff recommend deliberate practice, like practice tests, spaced retrieval, and other strategies that encourage students to interact with material instead of just memorizing material. Memorization, when they start using deeper learning strategies, memorization happens along the way. So instead of it being, I have to memorize this formula, it's use this formula here, use it here, use it here. Eventually that formula just gets stuck in memory. I remember my undergrad uh, statistics class and there were a bunch of formulas, but because I was continually doing t-tests, the t-test formula just began to stick because I was using it all the time. Instead of it being drill, 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 keep looking at it, memorize, 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 understanding why I was doing it, how it worked, and what the outcomes were supposed to look like and how to explain those outcomes did more for me to understand and remember and memorize the t-test than just drilling ever could. So we're going to go over several of the strategies that Hattie and Donov has have identified as stuff that helps students get deeper learning. First, spaced retrieval. Learning programs like Duolingo use this to great effect. Students learn the basics, then some vocabulary, then have to reinforce the basics, adding vocabulary as they go. Every few weeks, the program cycles back to things they learned several weeks ago, just as the student is about to forget them, and reinforces that learning. In this way, the learning becomes deeper set and easier to recall as the student grows in their understanding and knowledge base. To do this in class, include concepts from earlier units on quizzes so students have to refresh their memory to discuss or use them. Space it out so it's not every day, but maybe every week or so. We've linked to another article specifically about spaced retrieval, and that will be in the show notes as well. Second, practice tests. Give students practice tests. It allows them both to learn what's expected what success looks like. And also it gives them some practice at retrieving information from their memory so that they'll know what they need to study. There are some teachers who really resist practice tests, but the fact is students perform better on exams when they've had a chance to practice in the form of the test they're gonna take. 
So this increases deeper learning as well as test taking ability. So it's a win-win. Both surface learning and deeper learning get increased here if they're doing practice tests. Third, having students look at a new problem or concept and explain how it's different from and similar to a previous problem or concept also helps them achieve deeper learning. Keep students from rushing into the new problem and instead assign an exercise where they have to compare and contrast that problem with other problems they've already done. Finally, the jigsaw method seemed to increase learning in all four of the areas that Hattie and Donoff looked at, acquiring surface learning, consolidating it so it was accessible, acquiring deep learning, and consolidating that as well. The jigsaw activity, it requires students to read or take in new information and then discuss it with other people who have just read it or taken it in so that they increase their understanding. Then they split up into new groups where they then teach other peers about what they read and learn from those peers as well. And according to the research team, this is the absolute best way to increase both surface and deep learning. So let's say that I'm teaching my criminology class and I'm teaching four different theories. I divide the students into four groups. Group one gets to learn about strain theory. Group two gets to learn about social learning theory. Group three gets to learn about social control theory. And group four gets to learn about social disorganization theory. So they all, each of them watch the lecture on that as a group. And then they talk about it for a few minutes. Then we redivide the class so that there's a kid from each of the original groups in a new group. Now, each of those students goes round robin in their new group and teaches them, here's what we learned about social disorganization theory, or here's what we learned about strain theory. And then the rest of the group in that group discusses each of the four things they've learned. This seems to really create both deep learning and surface learning for all the students in all the groups. So it's a really good method. If you're doing this in a Zoom room, you might do a breakout room, and then you'll have to keep track of, okay, who went into the four breakout rooms, and then go back and put those kids into different breakout rooms so that they all get together with people who learned other topics. But this is one of those things that they just like hammer on in the article that we read. Another area Hattie and Donoff identified as crucial was giving students context for their learning. It's not enough to tell students we're going to learn the quadratic equation. You need to tell students why they're learning the quadratic equation and what it's useful for. Hattie and Donov continue to work to identify effective learning strategies that can actually help students deepen their learning and to help educators move away from surface learning as the only valid measure of what a student takes away from a class. Now, when it comes to our experiences with it, I know that for me, learning that math was critical to an art project I was doing in art school, that made the math interesting for the first time in my life. I hated math. But instead of seeing this now as something I have to do for a test, it became something I need to learn so this art project I'm working on will actually work right. Because I was doing something that required spacing out the shading in an ombre thing so that it got wider and wider as it went further and further away. And I knew that if I used this particular mathematical formula, the art would look better. And I reached out to a friend of mine who's a math geek and I said, Janet, how do I do this? And she says, oh, this will be fun. Let me teach you. And so we had like a 45 minute conversation. I asked a bunch of questions and I still remember that formula. I may not remember much else, but I remember that formula and I can still explain how it changed the project that I was working on. What I like to tell my students is that if they want to earn A's on my term papers, don't just tell me what I asked you on in the prompt. I want you to connect what you're writing about for me 
to material you've read or talked about or heard about in another class. If I'm giving you a criminology paper and you can relate it to a Pan-African studies class that uh, stood out to you or something from an English class last semester, it makes those papers so much more interesting for me to read. And for me, it's kind of, it's a happy moment because I can see those connections. I can see the light bulbs going off when I see um, students kind of working their way through saying, I remember this idea and this is how it relates to social disorganization, which I write about in this paper. Or here's how I remember something from my English class and how it relates to social control. And what I also do for my tests, when it comes to practice tests, I don't often do them. I will give my intro students some more quizzes so that they get uh, used to dealing with the multiple choice and the vocabulary that they might need to deal with my lectures a little bit. But what I will do for my students is I always lead them through an in-class review session. And what I'll do most of that session is we'll talk about that material that's on their test and we'll have a conversation about it because if they can understand the material well enough to talk about it, then hopefully that makes a test where they're looking at the right answer choice on each and every question a little easier because not only have they said this is the right answer, they've talked about why it's the right answer. I'll occasionally throw them a few multiple choice questions in the review, but for the most part, I like to keep it open because I want to see them making those connections and trying to really entrench the ideas that they're going to be quizzed on. So I was also thinking of two other things that relate to the strategies they're talking about. When I was in high school, I took an algebra class. Now, I hated it because it was math, but it was very specifically set up. The book was set up to use spaced retrieval. Like the homework questions for chapter three still had a set of questions that were from chapter one and then another set of questions that were from chapter two, you know, to reinforce the idea of foil, which we learned fairly early on, you know, first outside, inside, last, or to reinforce the idea of factoring. You know, we would have a couple of factoring problems, even though we had moved beyond the factoring chapter. And the idea was, and it was unusual at the time, we're talking like, you know, late, um, late seventies, early eighties, when the guy wrote the book. The author of the textbook had read about space retrieval, and so he designed the whole textbook as a space retrieval activity, basically. And I remember that when the teacher got into that in the second half of the class, some of those concepts began to stick because I just needed more time with them. I, you know, I wasn't someone who could do the math immediately and understand this formula and be able to use it and understand it. I needed a couple of extra weeks to really make it click. One of the nice things about space retrieval is it gives your students more time to click with the concepts. And then the other thing, what Denor was talking about, you know, bring in stuff from other classes on your papers. I have an assignment called a journal where one of the questions is, how does what you've learned in this class relate to something you've learned in another class or in some other experience you've had? So they could relate what they've learned because it's a sociology class to something they learned in their English class or something they learned in another social class or in an Africana studies class, as Janor was saying, or they might relate it to something that happened when they were in band camp in high school or when they went to summer camp in third grade or when their family took a trip and went and their parents went to this big conference. Okay. They can relate it to a bunch of different things. They can relate it to their church group. Right. And that skill is going to be important not just in our classrooms but when they get out of school when they're done with school and so 
the more you can create assignments that create space retrieval, that create practice tests, that create the ability to, to find out what the context is and plant those concepts into a context, the better deep learning you're going to get from your students. Now, the way students can use what we've talked about in this episode is one, don't focus so much on the score or the test. And we know that that's really counterintuitive to hear. We've talked about what grades mean in college, that your grades do not define you, whether we're talking about for a class or whether we're talking about for one test. Ask yourself and your teacher, why is this material important? Why am I learning it? What's interesting about it? And try and find ways to connect with the learning on a deeper level. Don't just read it because you have to read these 15 or these 30 pages by Thursday. Read it because there's a really interesting question that's going to be discussed in an article. Read it because maybe this is going to set something up that you really care about in two or three weeks, but you've got to lay that foundation. And the way teachers can use this, start by using Marianne Winklemess's transparent teaching methods, which tell students what they're going to do, how they're going to do it, and why they're learning at all. The context is critical to get students away from the mindset that's all just cram, jam, take the exam. Teach your students how to do space learning and establish it as a major learning method in your classroom. Set up your assignments around spaced learning. Also, allow your students to take practice quizzes and practice tests. And another way to do this is they take the test, you mark what's wrong, but you give it back to them and ask them to correct their work and explain where they went off track. That also increases learning. And finally, when you present a new concept, ask the students to compare and contrast it with a previous one. Provide the concept that they need to compare and contrast it to the first few times, and then let the students pick the previous concept to compare it to. This is a spaced learning technique where you say, all right, we are now learning about this battle in the Civil War. How does this relate to that battle in the, in the Revolutionary War? Let the students do that compare and contrast. And then maybe a little later on say, okay, we're talking about the War of 1812. What's a previous concept we can compare and contrast this to? Ah, spaced learning, right? They're pulling something out that they had to look at three weeks ago, four weeks ago, and compare it to what they're looking at now. When you do that, you are providing a spaced learning opportunity. And that is a really good way to get this learning to go deeper. So that's what we have for you in episode 78. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help even more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com, and we would really appreciate it if you could write a review of this podcast for us on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to join us next week for episode 79, when Adam and I talk about how to handle divisiveness in the classroom. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week. <laughs>